Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we study Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 6. We left off chapter 5 in a moment of suspense, hanging on the edge. The people, um, during the second year of the reign of Darius, uh, which was about 20 years after the people tried to start building the Beit HaMikdash, the uh, local uh, and regional governors tried to put a stop to the building of the Beit HaMikdash, the building of the temple, by uh, doubting the uh, license that the Jews had to build, the license they had obtained from King Cyrus 20 years earlier. <laughs> they uh, wrote a letter to the current King Darius stating that the Jews are building, they're, they're building seriously, they're building in earnest. These are the names of the people building. Do they really have permission? Search through your archives. See if there's any document that actually proves it. This makes me wonder a little. You'd think that at this point, um, the Jews would have kept a copy of that letter. Uh, you know, I know this nowadays is not exactly the same as it was back then. And back then they didn't exactly have it stored in their, on their Google Drive. But something of this importance, I'd imagine that even back then, especially when you remember the importance of written decrees, everything we know about the Persian Empire is all about written decrees and written letters. We're most familiar with that from the book of Esther, but we saw it here in the book of Ezra, and we've seen it in, in other books that reference the Persian kings. The writing of a decree is really important. So one would think that... Um, that um, you could, um, you know, one would think that they would have kept a copy of this letter, um, but apparently they didn't. I wonder, although this is completely speculation on my part, if uh, part of the sabotage here involved was that the um, some people um, hid the letter, um, and there may have been an active effort to get rid of the documentation. And uh, I can back up my speculation with a little bit of, of facts that we're going to see in this chapter. Um, I'll give it away now. We're going to read in a few verses that uh, as they searched the archives, they never found an actual copy of the original decree. They did find evidence, and we'll see this in a minute, that the decree was written. But the actual decree was never found. So one would imagine that maybe because there was such an opposition during this time in, the, in those 20 years, someone actually successfully found and destroyed the documents, which is why they were so confident in telling the Jews, oh, let's ask Darius to look in the archives and see if he can find a copy of this thing, because they probably knew that the copy of this decree didn't exist anymore. Again, that's complete speculation on my part, but um, it's a tantalizing thought. <clears throat> Beidayan, at this point, Dayavesh Malka Samteim, Dayavesh, the King Darius, you know, he had received this letter, which we read in the last chapter, the letter uh, telling, informing him that the Jews were building and telling him he should, that the Jews are claiming that they have permission from King Cyrus. So 
he made a he he he, he himself wrote a command Vakaru Bebesifraya and they and his command was that they should search out the storehouses, the libraries, and they went and they searched out the libraries, Diginzaya, which were in the archives, Mahachatin Tamabibavel, which were stored in Babylon. You see that after the Persian Empire took over Babylon, Babylon remained a center of government. It was still a very important city in the Persian Empire, um, uh, and um, <clears throat> it was a, a major source of the, their power. The fact that the Persians had taken over Babylon was a major source of their power. And as we saw last chapter, they often still called themselves the kings of Babylon um, uh, because they were proud of the fact that they had conquered it. However, they went ahead and they did find somewhere in a um, in a fortress someplace um, so it doesn't even sound it wasn't even found in the official archives but in some fortress in the province of Madai of media so they searched in Babylon where the main archives were and they couldn't find anything but as they searched around the kingdom somewhere in some fortress Megillah Chada they found one scroll and it was written in there a dichrona, which very well translated I've seen is a memorandum. The word dichron means memory. A memorandum is a very, you know, so it wasn't a, um, the actual decree. And it, in the official archives, this, this great decree of Cyrus had apparently been extirpated. I'm guessing that it was extirpated by people that had reason to do so. But um, they did find this, this one scroll, Megillah, some scroll lying on the bottom of a fortress in some, uh, some uh, in the middle of Media somewhere, which was, Media was obviously an important uh, province of Persia, Paras and Madai, they were allied kingdoms, very uh, closely related um, and uh, interchangeable almost with one another, but, but, um, but not in Babylon, not in the palace, but in some birta, some some uh, fortress somewhere. And it was written in the memorandum as follows, referencing the following, Bishnat Chada, during the first year of the Koresh Malka of the King Cyrus, Koresh Malka Samteim, the King Cyrus, did issue a decree, that the house of God should be rebuilt in Jerusalem, a place where they can bring their sacrifices, and um, uh, uh, and a place uh, w w which should have uh, strong uh, foundations, built foundations, Rumeam in Shitin, it should be built 60 amot, 60 cubits high, Pasyeam in Shitin, and it should be 60 cubits wide. Remember, we actually had the text of Cyrus's initial decree in the first chapter of Ezra. It didn't say anything there about the measurements. It seems that, that this memorandum was probably written during the time when the Jews were gathering. Remember, right in the beginning, they started to gather, we learned in the second chapter, they started to gather the, um, the items, I'm sorry, in the third chapter of Ezra, the items necessary for building. And someone probably had written in this memorandum, by the way, we know that in the first year, he did issue this decree, and this, you know, and this is how they're building it. And Nidbuchin the Evan Glaltlasa, and... Um, they're going to make rows of, of three um, 
uh, for every three rows of stone, there would be uh, there would be a, a wooden uh, layer holding the stone together. And the expenses will be paid by the palace. So this memorandum was probably written from someone to someone related to supplies being purchased for the building. And as we saw, supplies were purchased from all over the kingdom. And additionally, even the vessels of the house of God, the gold and silver vessels, the ones which are known that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, removed from the temple which was in Jerusalem, and he brought them to Babylon. They should be returned and they should be placed back in the temple in Jerusalem in its place, and they should be placed and reside within the house of God in the temple of God. So, although they couldn't find the decree itself, they found a memorandum which was evidence that such a decree existed. And to King Darius's credit, he initiated a search not only of the main archives, because had he just done that, he wouldn't have found anything and would have definitely ruined the plans of the Jews in Judea. But he searched everywhere until he found some evidence that they indeed did have permission to do it. So Ka'an, now, so this is the answer that Darius uh, writes back to the uh, Tatnai, who is the governor of the, um, uh, of the province uh, beyond the Euphrates, which included Judea. Tatnai, Pachat Avarnara. Tatnai, you who are the governor of the, uh, the provinces over the Euphrates, Shesar Boznai, and your assistant Shesar Boznai, Ukunavason, and all of your colleagues, Afachasoye, and all of your officials, Diva Arnara, that, that reside and rule over that area, Rachikin Havom and Tama. Stay away from that place. Stop bothering them. Shavuku Lavides Besalohadech. Leave them alone and let them build the house of God. Allow the governor of Judah, who at this time was Zerubbabel, and the elders of Judah, let allow them to build the house of God on its place. And I hereby give an order, King Darius says, that... Um, that, that uh, I'm going to give an order regarding that which you should do together with the leaders, the elders of, of the Judeans, um, as they build the house of, this house of God that they're building. And, um, and from the expenses, from the treasury, the expense, house, the expense account on the king, which are... Um, which are allotted to your region of past the Euphrates, the region west of the Euphrates, which would include the provinces, say, that are include the areas now of Syria, Lebanon, parts of Jordan, and um, and Judea and Israel. They the the. Your region should pay from the king's coffers based on the taxes that are collected from people that reside in your entire region of Avarnara. Of, so, so in the entire area of beyond the Euphrates, 
from the taxes collected and brought to the coffers of the king administered in your region, from those funds, you should help them build. Not only should you stop bothering them, but help them build with the king's funds, with those taxes collected, so that they should not be stopped and so that they should continue building. Um, and not only that, and, and what kind of funds, what are, am I asking you to fund? And you, you should give them um, the, whatever they need, every day, whatever they need, whether they need um, bulls or rams or lambs uh, for them to bring as sacrifices to the God of heaven, or chintin, or wheat, melach, or salt, chamar, wine, meshach, and oil, kimei marko, anayad, as much as the priests that run the, the facility of the temple, uh, as much as they ask you for it, as much as they say they need, that's as much as you should give them. In other words, they have a blank check to write on the public king's account, yom biyom dilashalu, every single day, so that they should never stop, that there should never be any issues. Um, so, so it should be fully funded by public funds. So this way we know that they will be bringing uh, sacrifices, pleasant sacrifices to the God of heaven. And they can pray uh, if, and for the life of the king and the king's family. So the king here following Koresh, following Cyrus, obviously has his own uh, agenda in mind, which is, to uh, if the temple is, uh, if he supports the temple, then he's imagining that this God of the heaven will support him and his kingdom and so on. So I want the temple to go up. Uminisim tame. And from me, Darius says, I want, this is my command. That anyone who ruins this decree, who doesn't listen and starts to bother the Jews as they build their temple, I will tear a beam out of his house, and I will use that beam to hang him upon it. And he shall be, um, he shall be crushed upon it. It's also translated as impaled upon it. And then his house will be destroyed um, and taken away uh, from him regarding this terrible deed of 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 disobeying my decree, um, the beam removal from the house reminds us of the punishment of Haman, um, which happens a little bit after this occurrence of this decree. This decree was by Darius. Darius's successor was Xerxes. Xerxes is 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 also Ahasuerus, the king of the fame from the book of Esther, and Ahasuerus was the one who commanded that Haman uh, be hung upon the very beam that he had placed up for Mordechai. It just reminds us a little bit of that story. My identification of Xerxes with Ahasuerus is somewhat controversial, but um, based on all of the facts that we can put together and everything we see, it makes the most sense to identify Xerxes with looking at all the historical facts, the archival facts, archaeological facts, all of the, uh, the psukim from all of the places where we have these mentions, it just makes the most sense to identify him, Xerxes, with Akashverosh. And the God who rests his name there in that temple, Yimagar Kol Melech, um, may he 
destroy any king, and this means a lower king than me. Darius, of course, thinks of himself as the highest king around. But any other king, any leader, or any nation that sends their hand, that, that, uh, that decides to go and change or to destroy or to harm or hurt the temple of God which stands in Jerusalem. I, Darius, myself, makes this decree isparna yisavid let it be carried out immediately quickly the way i am commanding so i'm cursing that and and don't touch it and if you do god himself the one who resides in that temple will take revenge against those who take who harm the temple edain at that point tatnai pachata varnara tatnai who had attempted to interrupt the building of the temple but now had his Attempts foiled. Shitar um, Boznai and his assistant Shitar Boznai, Gnavason, and all of their colleagues, Lo Kaveldi Shlachta Yavish Malko, Kanema, Sparna Avadu, they uh, received the answer from the king and they immediately took uh, the task uh, seriously and they fulfilled what they were commanded by Darius um, to do it. Vishavei Yehudaye Bonayin Umatzlichin. They, so the leaders, the elders of the of the Jewish people, started to build successfully and strongly build Benvuas Chagai Nevia under the leadership of the prophecy of Chagai, as we read in the book of Chagai together. We studied this together. It was Zechariah by Ido and the other prophet of the time, Zechariah the son of Ido, Uveno, and they built Bishachlilu and they built it strong and established it Mintaam Elodi Israel under the guidance of the God of Israel, meaning the guidance of the God of Israel because they were being guided by his prophets, Chagai and Zechariah, and also with the support of Cyrus, meaning the decree that Cyrus had written, and Darius, and Artachshasta, who is Artaxerxes, Melach Paras. Now, Artachshasta is placed here because, if you remember, after Darius, and I just said this a few minutes ago, Darius was succeeded by Xerxes, who was Ahasuerus. We said in, in chapter 3, we mentioned that Ahasuerus made a decree that put a stop to the building of the temple, that interrupted things, which many, and I included, suggested that that might be the very same decree that Ahasuerus made about the destruction of the Jewish people in general. That decree, as we said in chapter 3, and as we know from the book of Esther, was withdrawn. But Ahasuerus was not, therefore, a very supportive king in the building of the Beit HaMikdash. In fact, it was under his reign that, some, that it got, almost got thwarted. Now, Artachshasta, which was his successor, Artaxerxes, under his reign, there was continuation of the building. So the Cyrus, Darius, and Artachshasta are listed here as the kings who helped support the building. And the house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was the sixth year of, so the third day of the month of Adar, which is the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. So, and remember, Artachshasta, who he just mentioned before, was later 
but so he he was king well after the temple was already established however um there was still opposition. Artaxasta was in a time when there was opposition to the building of Jerusalem. And we pointed that out when we studied chapter 4 together. That they built the temple, which happened now and during the Darius' reign. And then they went to build the city of Jerusalem. And the enemies continued to try to stop the building of the city of Jerusalem. But that was a point that we discussed then. But now, the temple is finally built. So this is about 25 or 26 years after the the altar was built when the Jews first came back. Now, finally, and they finally got to build about 19, it took 19 years until they can actually get the building of the temple building started. It took another five years or so until the temple was completed. Now the temple is completed. So now the, the Jewish people with the priests and the Levites and all the people that came back from the exile, they made a Chanukah, they made a rededication, a dedication of the house of God, Bechedva, with tremendous joy and gladness. And they, and they uh, sacrificed during the celebration of this dedication of the house of God, Torin Ma'ah, a hundred oxen, um, Dichrin Masayan, um, 200 rams, Imrin Arbama, all 400 uh, lambs, Utsufire and 12 uh, goats as sacrifices, as uh, sin offerings for all of Israel, Treasar, 12 Leminyan Shifte Israel, according to the numbers of the tribes of Israel. Fascinating that they still considered themselves representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, even though we made it very clear that there was really only two tribes represented here. There was the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, and then, of course, the tribe of uh, Levites. But um, So maybe three if you count it that way. But the 12 tribes of Israel, um, the, the 10 were missing and gone. Now, there were references, and we kind of hinted towards this before, that there were clearly some remnants of the other ten tribes that were among the people here, but but there was no actual you know tribes and no structure under which or families listed when we listed the families that 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 um, traced themselves to any one of the other tribes because they had assimilated into the Assyrian, eventually Babylonian, eventually Persian empires, and into the rest of the world at the time, and they had pretty much been gone. Although there were probably some individuals, some families that did uh, rejoin the Judeans. Like, however, but the Jews themselves considered themselves to be the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and they brought, so they didn't give up on their brothers. They knew that, that the complete Israel is the 12 tribes. And right now, these people that are here are representing all of them. And therefore, they brought a carbon chatas, a sin offering. To, uh, for, to achieve forgiveness for all of them. And they established priests according to their groups. Remember that the Kohanim, the priests, were divided into 24 priestly families that, and they used those to divide up among the 48 weeks of the year um, to divide up the uh, 
uh, the offerings and whose turn it was to bring so, uh, offerings and so on. And the Levites also had groups. Some of them were in charge of the doors, some in charge of the singing, and so on. Over the 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 worship of God, the services of God, which occurred in Jerusalem, as is written in the book of Moses. So they had access to the Torah. They knew and understood at least what the Torah's basic commandments and guidance was regarding the service in the temple. As we saw when Chagai, who was leading this, who was the one of the two prophets at the time, made uh, attested the priests, as we read when we studied together the book of Chagai, tested the priests on their knowledge of the Torah. Of course, we said that this whole Chanukah, this entire rededication or, or dedication of the new temple occurred in the month of Adar, of course, the following month, several weeks later, is the month of Nisan, the month in which Pesach falls out. So here we now have another story of one of the most beautiful Pesachs in the history of the Jewish people. If we wind back, we remember the, the holiday of Pesach has found itself in many places in Tanakh as one of the most special times. We find it, of course, the famous Pesach that occurred after Josiah Yoshiahu right after he reestablished the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, and destroyed the idols and so on. We find Pesach was when um, Sancheirev's um, uh, siege failed in the time of Chizkiyahu. And now we find Pesach being celebrated at the, finally, the rededication of, or the dedication of the second temple. The Ve'asub Pesach, the people that had returned from the exile made the, uh, they celebrated Passover, they brought the, the sacrifice on the 14th day of the first month of Nisan, the priests and the Levites all became purified, they ritually purified um, the way they're appropriately supposed to be in order to bring the sacrifices, they all were tohar, vayishchatua Pesach, and they slaughtered the sacrificial, the Passover, Paschal Lamb, for all of the people of the exile, and including for themselves, their brothers, the, the priests, and for themselves, and the, the people of Israel that all returned from the exile, ate of the Paschal Lamb, and everyone who had separated themselves from the Tuma, from the uncleanliness of the nations of the land, Aleam, that had been upon them, Lidrosh Ladunai Elohei Israel, in order to come and worship the Lord God, uh, the, the, the God of Israel Himself. So the various types of Tuma that, um, that um, and the Mitsudos and, and, and Rashi and others understand this to mean that not just the Bnei Yisrael HaShavim Me'agola, not just the Jewish people that returned, but also the Kol HaNivdol Mitomos meaning those who were non-Jews, but converted and joined Lidrosh LaShem Yisrael. This is a fulfillment, of course, of the many prophecies in Isaiah and other prophets that we saw, that among the returnees that come to the temple will be many who convert to Judaism, who join the Jewish people, and Rashi and the Matsudos both understand this kol hanivdol referring to um, not just the Jewish people, but also the non-Jews who convert and decide to join, 
are now joining in the eating of the carbon Pesach. Um, um, Vayasu Chag Hamatzos Shivas Yamim Besimcha, and they all made the the holiday of Chag Hamatzos, the holiday of Passover, the holiday when we eat matzah. Uh, it's for seven days they celebrated with great happiness. Kisimcham Adonai, because God had made them happy. How did God make them happy by bringing about this miracle? By bringing about this redemption, and he turned the king of Assyria's heart towards them. He brought favor in the, uh, and from the king of Assyria. Now, it's interesting that we call him the king of Assyria. Well, he was really the king of Persia. But remember that Assyrian Empire was a recent strong memory in the memories of the Middle East, people of the Middle East at the time. And each successive king considered himself to be the successor to all of the great empires before them, which is why we saw the Persian emperor or the Persian king constantly referring to himself also as the king of Babylon. And remember, Babylon had conquered Assyria. So the Persian king also considers himself the king of Assyria. And why mention Assyria here specifically? Uh, I would just suggest that maybe that reason is because it was the king of Assyria that almost destroyed the first temple. It was the king of Assyria that 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 exiled the ten tribes. Um, but now the king of Assyria, who is now the king of Persia, God turned his heart to strengthen them in Melechaspeim, to strength give them the strength they needed to complete the work of building the temple of God, Elohim Israel, the God of Israel. Very interestingly here, and we see how we see this in the book of Esther very clearly, but we see this here as well, and it's the same time period. We have we see how the people are still very dependent upon the kings around them. They don't have independence. But we also so everything is about so it's almost like they're still somewhat in exile. Which and we felt this, and we mentioned it when we studied Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi together, that the people somewhat resented that. But they needed to also accept that at this point they weren't yet ready to be fully redeemed. During the when we read Chagai and Zechariah, we understood that they had the potential to become dependent, but they didn't. They didn't end up deserving it. Although, and 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 we discussed at various points as to why that might have been. But the other thing that we see here, which is important, is is that we didn't see any open miracles. We don't see it in Esther, and we don't see it here. All of the things that happen in this time period all seem to happen in the very normal, mundane way of usual politics. Now, when you look at it from the broad perspective, one sees the hand of God. But when one looks at it from day to day, all you see is just bureaucratic nonsense. You know, a letter writing from here, this guy complains to him, the other one complains to them, then they look around, then they find a piece of paper, they find a scroll hiding over here, they couldn't find it over there. And, and you know, you know, and this one's trying to backstab here. And this one's trying... That's all we see. But nonetheless, it ends up resulting in a decree from the king supporting the building of the house of God. Thank you so much for studying Ezra chapter 6 together. Looking forward to studying Ezra 7 and, of course, the rest of this book. In the next chapter, we are going to be introduced to the namesake of this book, Ezra himself.